Hey, it's so great to have you in church today, uh, one week away from Easter. Who feels it? Who, who, you know that smell in the air's changed, it's getting a bit crisp. You know what I'm talking about? The other day, I think it was a Tuesday last week, I was driving back from Brisbane to the Gold Coast, and I, just, I wound down the window at 100k an hour, and I took in the M1 smells, and, uh, and I was like, behind those fumes were Easter smells. And uh, I just love this time of the year. It's always uh, this time of the year that just brings back such fond memories for me. Uh, I grew up in Toowoomba, so every Easter without fail, Easter Fest happened. If you were around back in those days, a massive music festival. And, um, you know, as a young punk, like, I literally, I just every year, like, as a teenager, I'd be like, yes, 30,000 people coming to Toowoomba. It was music, it was celebration, it was fun. And, you know, I must admit, though, because of that excitement, I may have been a bit distracted. Um, and normally by Easter Sunday, that was the first moment that I was really thinking about Easter for what it was all about. And um, I know that for myself this week, um, as I've been sort of, I've been praying about what to talk about, I do, I want to talk about Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. I saw the, uh, the kids' room, they had palms laid out, and as I walked in, I was like, it reminded me of that song when you're a kid, like, here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. Oh, no? Anyway. Hosanna, Hosanna. It's just me. Do you know that song, Ange? We should have had that in the playlist. Everyone would have been like, this is messed up. That's great. Anyway, it's just such a, a beautiful time, a week out from Easter, and uh, I just want to share with you today, and I'm going to be really vulnerable in saying this, that this week I've learned a lot whilst prepping this preach. And um, so please bear with me, because I just want to unpack the, the first Easter, well, the first Easter we talk about with um, obviously, Good Friday coming up and Easter Sunday. We talk about the journey of Easter. Come back on Good Friday. Come back on Sunday. I feel like today is just like the first part of it. And so you're just going to stay with me on this because it's such a beautiful time in the Christian calendar. And today, I felt like today's message was a bit um, about a, a little question that you might have um, had happen. Have you ever had a moment in your life, not a question, but a statement in your life where you've gone to someone and said, I told you so? <laughs> ever had those moments? <laughs> Everyone's just looking at their husbands and wives, <laughs> you know, their partners, their fiancés, I told you so, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, I told you so, and I feel like that's kind of the core of this message, because um, I know personally in my life, Beck says I told you so a lot, and, uh, like, and I had it even happened this week, like another I told you so moment where I had to come to a point of like, yeah, okay, you're right again. Um, you would notice that often, often I wear a white t-shirt, um, and Beck always says, never wear white, because you can never, ever last a day without getting something on it. Like, anyone like that here? Like, they're just it's a mess, you know? <laughs> and so, I remember, like, when we first got married, this was one of the first times where Beck was kind of like, as a loving wife, said, are you sure you want to wear that? Like, that white shirt, we're about to go to this um, wine and music festival, and, and uh, you know, I was going to red wine, and all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm a man. I can handle myself. And uh, we went there, and I was really determined to prove that this white shirt was going to be crisp by the end of the night. And uh, when we got there, Beck's like, go get some food, and there were food trucks. And I came back with butter chicken. Oh. And uh, <laughs> Beck was like, are you sure? <laughs> and I, I genuinely was like, yes, I am. And like, I was so determined, I remember getting my plate really close to my mouth. Because I was like, I'm going to eat all of this, and we gonna, I'm going to celebrate, you know, like... This butter chicken's going to be... And I remember I was just like doing this 
And as I do this, I lift up the first mouthful. This guy from behind me taps my shoulder. Boom. I now have an orange shirt. I look like an Oompa Loompa. All right? You know, like, so I told you so. It's like, just learn your lesson. I think that's part of life is in being human. Like, people are constantly telling us, hey, you should do this. And we do the opposite. And then someone goes, I told you so. I mean, one of my favorite memories in recent times was hanging out with my cousin's wife and she has a young kid and he's just a rebel like he just does everything the opposite and we're at this play area and uh, she goes chase do not go out there without shoes on there are ants out there and he's like nah and then within about two minutes he's screaming because these green ants have just bitten him ferociously like he is like curled over and crying and i'm there laughing (laughs) his mum's there laughing (laughs) so this is how it is i told you so I think Palm Sunday can be seen as a bit of I told you so, you know, this is a a moment we're going to unpack because, you know, God could have quite easily responded to us as people, I told you so. And um, I want to talk about how God responds to us when we make mistakes and stuff up and how he actually turned things around. And we want to unpack that because you've got to understand that God, for thousands of years, has been trying to call us back to him. We keep rebelling, we keep making mistakes, we keep sinning, we keep breaking, we keep stuffing up. And, um, you know, he could say, I told you so. Instead, he's like, you know, he's slow to anger. We've talked about this, you know, he's abounding in love, you know, he is gracious. And, um, you know, I just, I love the moment of Palm Sunday because it is the moment that Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And it's at the pinnacle of his three-year ministry. He's been um, healing the sick. There's been so much going on. He's turned water into wine before he rocks up. He's multiplied food. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. And now he's actually coming back to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is why he's coming back in. And, um, you know, as he comes back in, it's like a revelation hits the Jewish people after the three years of his ministry. He's built this big following. And as he comes in, they start to worship him and start crying out, you're the king. You're the king. Like, you are the one. Um, In fact, the Jews want to make a really big noise about this because, in essence, they were trying to scream out to the Roman Empire, the oppressive people, that we have a king now. Game on. This is happening. And uh, I want to pick up the story from Mark 11, chapter, well, chapter 11, verse 1. I want to read the story of when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And this is what it says. If you've got a Bible, open it. If you don't have a Bible, write down notes, as I've mentioned every week. Go and read this for yourself. Because I think when you actually start to read these stories, it hits your heart. I believe Holy Spirit will move as you unpack the story. When you read it yourself, when you seek God with everything, you will find Him. And so here it is. It says, when they approached Jerusalem, this is the disciples and Jesus, at Bethpage Beth, uh, and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back, and we will send it back right here, right away, later on. Uh, A bit further down in verse 7, it says, They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road as well, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Um, Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I love 
just picturing these things. My brain is very creative. I always picture, when I read something, I'm always creating characters and seeing it unfold. And you can just see this moment, he's on a donkey and people are screaming, Hosanna, he's coming. And there's such a commotion in the city. Like you can just see it stirring up. There was a celebration in this moment because the Jews were saying, our oppression is over, the king is here. You can just see it, can't you? I mean, this guy has done so many miracles. They're like, if he's got all this power, he's got power over everything, including the wind, what more can he do for us? So this is this revelation that comes in. But I think sometimes when we think of that Hosanna word, um, and we, you know, as I said, I was thinking of that old song, like, you know, here comes Jesus, right in on Like, we just sing this Hosanna thing. We don't understand that Hosanna is quite a powerful word. It's quite a powerful word. Yes, it was a celebration moment, but actually, Hosanna is just two Greek words broken down. Yasha, which means save or deliver us. The second part is please, I beseech. In other words, I was saying, please save us. Please be our savior. Please, we know you can do a whole bunch of stuff. Please be our king. It's actually a declaration. They're not just like, ha, ah. they're like, oh my gosh, we are oppressed. And you're coming in and we are believing that you are what we've been waiting for. Because you've got to understand for thousands of years, hundreds of years, in fact, um, later, like a thousand years prior, there was the first king. They haven't had a king for about 600 years at this stage. And this is the first time they're declaring there's a king again. It's pretty crazy. And those words, by the way, like what they were declaring, they weren't just random words. These were actually prophetic words written in the Psalms that they were fulfilling in this moment. Psalm 118, 25 to 26, actually is the moment that they're declaring and proclaiming. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You've got to understand, in this moment when Jesus is riding in on a donkey, it sounds really cute, it sounds really nice. He's actually smashing through a bunch of prophecies. He's not just doing this because it's a nice thing to do. He's actually fulfilling prophecy. The prophecy of the coming king. I can just imagine these people were like, wow, this is insane. They didn't even realize they were doing it. It's interesting, as Jesus was walking in, or on that donkey, as the donkey was walking in, the oppression that they were under, the stuff that was going on in their world, where they were at right now in that moment was actually self-inflicted. was self-inflicted. You can understand, this was not like, you know, oh, we just somehow ended up here. This was actually self-inflicted. The Jews had got to a place where they had no king, they had no freedom, they had no home to call their own. Did I actually want to unpack and take us down a bit of history of Israel about how they wanted a, wanted a king and how God actually gave them other options, but they just wanted what they wanted and now they landed up where they were. And um, so I want to actually break open a little bit um, about this king thing, because I, I remember, like, I suppose over the years of being a Christian, like, even for myself this week as I was researching, I was like, yeah, I mean, I understand that Jesus, Jesus was a, you know, he's a teacher, he was a rabbi, all of a sudden now they're declaring he's a king. Like, this is very interesting. And so, if you were ever, if you were here in the, one of the first weeks of the year, I actually preached a message um, about Moses leading the people out of Egypt into the desert, and God has this amazing plan for His people, His chosen people, to have a relationship with them. Um, Israel, however, they're not satisfied <laughs> with God's plan, and so they constantly rebel, stuff up, and find themselves in a world of pain. 
God's desire way back then, a thousand years earlier, was that people would just follow him and his ways. That's what he wanted. Israel found that way too hard, so they just wanted to be given a king like everyone else. All their neighboring, you know, sort of countries, they wanted to be like them. Just give us a king. Like, just, can we just follow some dude that can make some rules? That's what we want. Give us a king. They were jealous of other nations. They just watched on and went, we want that. Isn't that interesting? How often do we do that? We don't want to be different. We want to be the same. We don't want to step outside of our comfort zones. It's interesting that these people, even though God was moving in their world, he was doing miracle after miracle of provision, salvation, um, going beyond that as well. You know, the people would go to war and all the other surrounding nations would see them and go, they've got the living God. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that even this statement was they had the God of armies on their side, yet the Israelites are like, we don't want that, we just want a king. It's really interesting. Constant whinging and complaining. This is what these people did. Not only that, we talked about, as I said, one of the first preachers I talked about was the fact that they were like, well, we don't have a king, just give us rules. Now, I was talking to Beck about this this week. Beck's like, I still don't get it. Why would people want rules? No one wants rules. It was just that they wanted direction, clarity, you know? Like, what is it? If we were going to follow you, just show us how to do it, right? We don't want to have to go to you every time. Just give us 10 rules and we'll be fine. You know, and it gets the 10 commandments going on and God gives them rules. And it's such an interesting thing that people way back then are just like we are today. We're kind of like, oh, just tell us what to do to be a Christian and then I'll be done. I don't have to talk to God, just tell me what to do, just show me what to do. And this is this human nature. People dissatisfied with just having God and God being enough. The generations of the cycle of sin, failure, repentance and restoration. I mean, this is a thousand years of this stuff. I want to get to the chapter in the Bible. This is a moment in the Bible where God says, fine, you can have a king. Very interesting. 1 Samuel, chapter 8. Literally, the title is Israel's demand for a king, because they're sick and tired of just having God. It says this, when Samuel grew old, he appointed this, his sons as judges over Israel. Samuel was a priest, okay? His first, uh, firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned towards dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us um, the same as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered this demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. Goes to God and says, God, they want a king. We've been asking for this for a long time. And it says this, but the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshipping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people uh, who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands of commanders of fifties to plough his ground, reap his harvest, to make his weapons of war, 
He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain, your vineyards, and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best cattle, your donkeys, and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. And it says, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us and fight our battles. And so what happens is Samuel listens to the people, repeats to them what's going to happen. And then the Lord told Samuel, appoint a king for them. Such an interesting moment in Scripture. What an interesting moment. Literally, God's like, you can tell them they can have their king, but this is what's going to happen. They heard all the oppression that was coming. Yeah, they said, we don't care, give us a king. Stupid, someone yelled out, stupid! Preach! (laughs) I told you so! Really interesting passage of Scripture. This is actually the moment in time that would actually sever the relationship of Israel, of the Israelites and God, right up until the arrival of Jesus. Right up until the arrival of Jesus. Um, it was in this moment that they thought they knew best that the king started to come through um, Israel. It was actually for the next 300 years, Israel would rise and fall based on the good or bad king. Literally just up and down, they're doing well, they have a bad king, they're doing bad, and this is what goes on for about 300 plus years. If you actually don't know the history of God's people, there was actually two kingdoms. I'm going to get a, a photo up on the screen here, or a picture up on the screen, because sometimes when you read about you need to actually picture what's going on, okay? So there's actually two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and there was a southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. I want to talk about the last two kings that came before Jesus. As I said, about 300 plus years into this absolute atrocity, that is, them trying to do their own thing. The last king in the northern kingdom, uh, his name was Josiah or Josiah. And the story is, literally, his claim to fame was, he was a conspiracy theorist, brought conspiracies about constantly to a point which destroyed the previous king, got him killed. And then his kingdom failed and the whole northern kingdom just fell down because of his lies and deceit. Interesting. The very last kingdom in Jerusalem, uh, sorry, in Judah, however, was a guy named Zedekiah. And um, it's amazing that Zedekiah's name actually means the Lord is just. Very interesting, because he was the least just king ever. He didn't live out his name at all. In fact, he brought this, I mean, he brought down Judah. Um, and I want to read about this. This is the very last king. I want to set this up. You need to understand what's going on. So Zedekiah, in 2 Chronicles 36, 11 to 17, it says this, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah, the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him, who had made him take an oath in God's name. It says this, he became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nation, defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The next part of this actually says it's the fall of Jerusalem. 
The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messages again and again. So Jeremiah, all these prophets we've talked about, they're coming and saying, you need to turn back. You're messing up. You are messing up. You need to turn back. You need to repent. And this is what he does. But he, or they, those that followed Jedekiah, they mocked God's messengers, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. From that moment, for 600 plus years, Israel doesn't have a king. 600 years. This is a big deal. That's why today is such a significant moment. Palm Sunday is like a moment. It's not just, oh yeah, we're going to call Jesus the king. It's like after 600 plus years, God enters human flesh. And he rides in humbly on the back of a donkey. Not on the back of a strong horse, not on a chariot like every other king. This in itself wasn't a coincidence because sometimes we go, well, maybe he just had access to a donkey. (laughs) Maybe he just thought, oh, yeah, I'll get a donkey. You've got to understand, this was not a coincidence on Palm Sunday. This was to fulfill another prophecy. 550 years in age. Zechariah prophesies in chapter 9, verse 9. 550 years before Jesus' arrival. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Notice the intricate detail here, guys. A young donkey. Not just a donkey, a young donkey that's never been ridden on. As I said, let's read it again from chapter 11. It says this, go into a village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you'll find a colt there on which no one has ever sat. And tie it, bring it to me. Now, there's major significance to this moment. You're like, okay, what's the point? Why a young donkey? You've got to understand, in Hebrew culture, in Jewish culture, if you go back and read the laws that the, the Hebrews were given, the Jews were given, you'll read, I've got three, if you want to go look this up, you can in your own time, I'm not going to go into them. In Numbers 19.2, Deuteronomy 21.3, and Samuel 6.7, it mentions... That if you want to use, if there is a sacred moment about to unfold, you are not to use an animal that's ever been ridden on before. You are not to be able to, you're not allowed to put it in any kind of yoke. <clears throat> you're not allowed to ride on it. You can only use it for that sacred moment. So what is happening is Jesus is like, I'm abiding by your laws. Something sacred is about to happen. That's why I can take that young foal. I can take that donkey. Now, you might be thinking, okay, what's the cloaks and all that kind of thing? Like, how do we know that he was a king? He was being declared king. They put down, obviously, the branches, but they also threw down their cloaks. This was also to to actually show us that he was king, because if you go back to how kings were dedicated in the Old Testament, you've got to go back to 2 Kings 9.13, when King Jehu actually becomes king. He gets anointed instantly. The people start taking off their cloaks and putting them under him to signify that this is indeed the king. A little story about Jesus on a donkey is not a little story about Jesus on a donkey at all. This is about a thousand years of Jesus coming back to take what's rightfully his. Hmm. 
In this moment, he also fulfills Isaiah's message. Let's just go back another 600 odd years. Chapter 9, 2 to 7, it says this, Walking in darkness have seen a great light. The light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. A bit further down in verse 4. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of the oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it. With justice and righteousness, now on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Sorry, I'm getting a bit teary. Palm Sunday, this was the moment where he was starting to re-establish his kingdom. And he was starting to outwork his mission. He would also fulfill... Luke 1, verse 32, when Mary is told by the angel what she's about to give birth to. You guys, this is cool stuff. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Just imagine Jesus riding in on the donkey. Just writing in to people, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, in that moment, surely Jesus could have responded, No, I'm not going to save you. I told you so. I'm coming back to do what I want to do. You are living a life of oppression because you didn't listen to me. He could have done, done that. He could have. You didn't listen to Samuel when you cried out for a king and rejected me. You failed, stuffed up for hundreds of years. I told you so. But instead, he rides into Jerusalem, having all power, all authority over every living thing, and sits humbly on the back of a donkey. He rides into Jerusalem, knowing what was going to come in the next week. His arrival as a baby, humble, His life of no sin and perfection. His three years of ministry constantly declaring the kingdom of God is like this. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is how you should pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was saying there's another kingdom and that's what you're meant for. He wasn't here to reprimand us. To say you stuffed up, to tell us, I told you so, it was quite the opposite. It was to save the people from their oppression, to set them free by giving them a chance to join his kingdom. He was going to be king, but his rule was going to be nothing like their last king, Zedekiah. The last thing they ever remembered of what a king was like. He was going to be, you know, Zedekiah was known to be. Stiff-necked, arrogant, violent, immoral, oppressive, power-hungry, hardened of heart, unjust, unfaithful, and so much more. He was going to flip everything on its head. 
He wouldn't be a king that reigned with violence and force that took all that was rightfully his. Quite the opposite. He was going to do it completely different. He was going to rule out of a place of absolute surrender, freedom, love and forgiveness. Truthfully, Palm Sunday reminds us of what Jesus was setting out to do. To re-establish everything that was broken. To bring back what he always intended. For us to see him as our king. You know, over Easter weekend, we're going to unpack this story even more. The last week of Jesus' life. He wasn't done yet. (laughs) This little moment, riding in on a donkey, was pretty powerful. But he wasn't done yet. Good Friday, we're going to continue. Easter Sunday, we're going to continue. But what I want to do right now, I want to pray for us. Let's just bow our heads because I just want to reflect on this. What I love about the Bible and what I love about reading about Jesus and these stories, and it's an honor to be able to unpack what was going on. What I love is that I see myself in the picture constantly. I actually see myself as one of the Israelites crying out, just give us what everyone else has. I don't want to follow you because it's too hard. I can see myself there and I'm sure you can see yourself there too. I can actually see myself amongst the crowd yelling out, Hosanna, here comes my king, my savior, because I've had a rough time for a long time and I'm like, just get me out of here, save me. I can see myself yelling that out. I can also see myself later on that week changing my mind (laughs) because I'm human. You know, it says in the scripture that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but to save the world. He had every chance to say, I told you so. Instead, he said, I just love you and I'll do whatever it takes to get you back. If you don't know Jesus and his love, it's free, it's a gift. He came as a humble servant. He laid down his crown, he left his throne to pursue and find you save you if you don't know Jesus and you want to receive that love you're like God you know what I haven't made you king of my life ever I'm still king of my throne I'm in charge today would you return to him allow him to be your king again would you allow him to take control of your life let him guide you in his ways thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast We believe this message will inspire you into greater intimacy with Jesus, relationship with others, and influence in your world. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit us online at www.elevationchurch.com.au or alternatively, pop into our Redlands location.